<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. One hundred sixty-seven days in space, over thirty-eight hours performing spacewalks, traveling more than six million miles, making hundreds of orbits about the Earth. But how did I get there? This is the making of an ordinary spaceman. I'm Clayton C. Anderson, and these are my stories. Hey everybody out there listening to the latest episode of our podcast, The Making of an Ordinary Spaceman. Today we have a very special guest, a special guest for me, in that we have talked many times about how this podcast seeks to uh, bring to the forefront the idea that I became a successful astronaut or I became the ordinary spaceman, not because of things that I did exactly, but for, because of the people who made me the person that I am today. And as part of that story, as part of that buildup to the making of an ordinary spaceman, we want to dial back in time a little bit to when I became a baby engineer at Johnson Space Center with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. And at that time, walking into the hallowed halls of Building 30 at the Mission Control Area of NASA at JSC, I had some colleagues, some office mates, some people that were my age. We entered into this adventure at approximately the same time, and we spent a lot of quality time together, (laughs) and we learned a lot together. So today, I'd like to welcome in my latest podcast guest, Mr. Blair Nader, a NASA engineer who has been working there for, I guess, Blair, what, 30-plus years now? Just past 39 last week. 39 years. Did you ever think you would work for 39 years at the Johnson Space Center? No, that? I didn't. No, I didn't. And I made some financial decisions based on not being here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Blair and I uh, began, let's see, I want to say, Blair, we both started about 1983. Is that right? Didn't you come down summer of 1982 for your first inter- well, internship? Yeah, my first internship was actually in 81 when I worked in the data okay. and analysis division. And I would come back a year later uh, to work with the folks we worked with in mission planning and analysis division. And I think you were probably a full-timer in 82, right? I was a full-timer in 82. Yeah, so I was there full-time. Eric was there full-time. And I think we were the first two, and then you were the intern. Yeah, <laughs> I was the intern. Hey, you got to be careful how you say intern these days, right? It gets a lot of people in a lot of trouble. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. No, no, I'm not. So, Blair, as we start out today, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, how you got to be at NASA, and a little bit about what you're doing today. 
I grew up in Louisville, Ohio. That's a suburb of Canton, Ohio. You, you might recognize that from Football Hall of Fame, among other things. Um, in a big ethnic family. Um, my family, from early on, it was made clear I was going to go to college. That was expected. And uh, my family, especially my mom, uh, were big supporters of the space program. They were just very enthusiastic. My mother's still nuts about the program. She called me last week about a launch that I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> I had been working all week and didn't pick up something. Uh, and, uh, you know, she still follows it avidly. Um, I studied physics at Kent State. Um, spring break my senior year through a friend of a friend. I made a, a contact out here and I drove down here to talk to them. I and spent about Camaro? Your gold Camaro? No, I do, we we brought a, a buddy of mine's cutlass. Okay. <laughs> but the Camaro was there. It just didn't come to Houston yet. Okay. The, uh, no, I came down and uh the person that I met with was Dave O'Brien. He ended up in safety, he's retired now. Dave uh Dave spent three hours with me. And uh, I thanked him and I ended up going back home to, to Ohio and he sent me an application and talked to people and, hey, you ought to look at this guy. I've talked to him and and the ball got rolling. And at that time, 82 was at the it was on the front end of the collapse in the Rust Belt. And I was one of only a handful of people in my graduating class in physics that had a job right out of school. I came down here and it's been a heck of a good time ever since. Yeah, you never you never left. <laughs> no, I never left. You know, it's it's oh. uh it's they're bad days like any other job, but man, this has been a great place to work. Well, excellent. So tell us about what you did. Um as a baby engineer at MPAD, and then jump forward and tell them what you do now. Well, like Clay, I started out working trajectory, figuring out how to get a spacecraft from one point in space to the other. And there's what I'll call close-in work, proximity operations, and then there's longer, you know, miles and miles and miles away work, and that's called rendezvous. Um, I was lucky I had a I had a taste of both. I think if I remember right, Clay, you really specialized in the proxops part of that. I got to do a little of both. Um, and I did that for a number of years, and I started to do a lot of what I'll call integration, making the pieces fit together. Um, if everybody is working in silos, hey, my job is propulsion, and hey, my job is computers, and hey, my job is life support. Somebody better be looking over the whole thing to go, did you know that he wasn't planning to provide power to your device? Somebody's got to do that. Today, they use this, this I'm not doing it justice when I say this. Today, they use a buzzword, uh, system engineering and integration. Uh, and there's a great deal of education that goes into that. Well, I kind of learned it as I went. <laughs> and that, that expanded. And uh, I did some project management work. And then... I had the opportunity to come over to, to the uh, flight operations director. It was the mission operations director then. And uh, I spent years trying to figure out how are we going to assemble and activate the International Space Station that Clay flew on. 
And uh, then I was lucky enough that I started to move up the ranks a little bit. And I'm now a second line manager. They call that a branch chief. Uh, and my people do a lot of technical integration. I have a team that works on the space station. I have a team that works on the commercial crew rockets, both the Boeing and the SpaceX guys. I have a team that works on the upcoming lunar and Mars stuff. Man, they're working hard. And uh, I have a team that works on our Orion and, and space launch system functions. Um, and they're each led by a really good um, first line supervisor. So that's what I do now. Let me clarify for the listeners that when Blair talks about operations directorate, which we called when we were there together, mission operations, now it's flight operations versus what Blair and I grew up with, which is more of the, the data development, looking into the, the, the insides of everything, right? And creating and running simulations and trying to figure out if it's going to be successful on paper. And then when we prove that it's going to be okay, we kind of hand that over to the guys where Blair went in operations, and they're the ones that execute it. They're the people you see on TV all the time that sit in the control center, uh, that talk to the crew, that talk to the leader of the team, the flight director, to make sure everything happens right. So, uh, Blair, go back now to when we were youngsters in mission planning analysis. And what I want people to hear on the podcast is I want to get your thoughts on the people that we worked with, because we were in the midst of brilliance. And I don't know that, that I, I certainly didn't recognize that, right? It took me a while to understand that you and I and, and Eric Von Mitchell and Rick Depish and Kevin Lewis and the people we grew up with at uh, the Johnson Space Center, we were in the presence of greatness and maybe we didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's true. Um, my earliest memories are, are just being in awe. I mean, I, I showed up and, and, and my immediate boss, our immediate boss, Bob Becker, uh, Bob was on leave. So his boss, Ken Young, the branch chief, the guy that he'd be my day, um, Ken came down and Ken's this six foot four lanky, stereotypical Texan. And he's just laid back, kind of talks a little bit slow. And the guy, guy is scary, brilliant. <laughs> uh, he is. Ken's, he's just playing scary, too. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Ken, Ken was just admitted into a, a Hall of Fame kind of thing with the UT engineering department. Ken, yes. Ken was a very heavy hitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then a week later, I get to meet my boss, my first line supervisor, and he walks in. He's got these cowboy boots on and this big old beard. And God rest him. The guy looked like the Bud Man. And if you go yes, Google he that, he, he looked just like the Bud Man. Go Google no, that. That's what that Bob was. No, and, and he had this I don't give a care attitude. And then you watched him and you realized he was another brilliant guy. Um. The stories going about Bob for hours. Um, but then there were there were guys that were not in the management chain that as you got to know them, you realized, oh man. And you in early on, Mickey Donahue, which was an old mentor of Clay's, you may meet him someday. Mickey told me early on, 
just when you get to thinking you know something, you'll find out there's a whole bunch more you don't know. <laughs> and and he was uh, to this day, almost 40 years later, he, he was right. I'm always peeling the onion because there's always somebody smarter than me, which may not be surprising to you, Clay. But, you know, I mean, there, there's always somebody smarter and you got to be. You got to be humble enough to just realize that. Right. And you got to be smart enough to learn what you can. And then you got to be assertive enough to say, wait a minute, what, what about this? Even with the brilliant, brilliant ones. And, and that's one of the things I like the most about this place is that, that collegial atmosphere. But back then you didn't, we were young. We, we, you know, it took us a while to snap to the fact that, that Gus Babb knew a heck of a lot of stuff uh, or, or how much Jerry Kahanic and some of those other guys knew Rocky Duncan. I mean, you know, um, they seemed laid back and easy going, but they had flown Apollo and then they had done the planning for space shuttle's first missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's amazing to me. You mentioned some names that I hadn't thought about Gus Babb and Kahanic in a long time, uh-huh. but the names, Lineberry and Claude Graves and Ken Young and and Becker and uh, Richard Kincaid. There were Dick, yeah, there were Sam Mayfield. There were geniuses everywhere, and these guys uh, they were kind of like a group of misfits, right? They they partied hard, they worked really hard, but they sometimes partied even harder. You know, our our boss was Bob Becker for a long time. Just an amazing man and a unique individual. Uh, there were stories that abounded about him. He was in a bar one time, I guess, and just enjoying himself. And some dude came in with a hammer and was going to assault somebody else. And when he, this dude reached back with the hammer, he whacked our boss on the back of the head and knocked him cold. I mean, he drove a Jeep through a plate glass window one time. It just crazy stuff. And, and Blair and I would sit there and we'd listen to this stuff. And we'd think, are you kidding? Really? It, it, was, it was just. Uh, I did this crap. Unique. Mm-hmm. I, I remember Mickey Donahue telling me stories when he was a, a collect. What do they call it? A, a guy that collected uh, delinquent loans back in the day when his, he worked for his dad. Yeah. And somebody owed him money on a car, so they went to repossess the car. And and I think the way the story goes is the guy was fighting him for it, right? So Mickey ended up. Uh, tying something to the radiator and said he was repossessing the radiator, but the car just happened to come along with it when he. (laughs) And all these guys had their stories. Well, and what I remember about Blair was when I came in as a summer intern in 1982, Blair was a full timer. So Blair had gone through all the, you know, human resource stuff. He'd signed up for his health insurance, his life insurance, and he knew what his badge was and where he was going to, all that sort of thing. And, and Blair at his desk, when I walked by, had a stack of, <laughs> of white, what NASA calls internal notes. And Blair had a yellow highlighter. And Blair was just always diligently for the first, I don't know, month I was there. He was always reading yeah. and highlighting and reading and highlighting. So talk a little bit about how, how they trained back then, how we learned. I don't think, you know, in hindsight, I don't think they had thought through 
how they wanted to train us. And I don't mean that in a critical fashion. These guys came off of Apollo. And then after Apollo, there was a big dearth on hiring. I mean, the agency's budget went way down. And to my knowledge, other than like occasional co-ops, people like Dallas Ives that they pick up. Uh, and Iowa State. I don't, yeah. And I don't think they had hired a full-timer in years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't, you know, in in the mission ops part of things, the guys who worked in mission control, they had detailed training manuals and, and all those internal notes and whatnot that showed you here's how here's how stuff works, because those guys had to go certify and work in mission control, which I eventually did, but that was years later. Um, in MPAD, they really hadn't thought that through. So they said, okay, um, you guys talk to, talk to Mickey Donahue, you talk to Al DuPont, you talk to Jim Kirkpatrick, uh, and you guys just figure it out. Let us know if you need help, kind of a thing. And, okay, thank God I was young. Uh, we were young enough that we we were aggressive and we wanted to learn and and we badgered the stink out of them until until some of the elders taught us and some elders were more willing than others. Um, my perception to this day is that early in shuttle there were still some people protecting their turf. Hey man, I've got this. I I don't want to teach you how to do it. So okay, well that's fine. That's how I got into International Space Station. Early on, my very first day at work, I started working on the space station. It was pre-phase A, me and Jerry Bell. Um, And the more the guys, you know, I tried to learn what the guys had to teach me, but I got more and more and more into space station to cut my own niche. And, you know, it's almost 40 years later, I still work on space station. Um, But then we had some really good fortune, too, because... If you remember, Clay, when we were young, we still had the blue suitor unit. Mm-hmm. At one time, the United States Air Force was going to fly shuttles occasionally and fly them themselves. They were going to fly them out of Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. Right. So they sent a, 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 a unit of really smart people who had been educated on aerospace. And they said, go learn how NASA does its job. And I had the the great privilege to work with those people because... Some of them, especially by the time they got to be captains or majors, they understood that their job was to bring up younger officers. But some of them also took us under their wing. I mean, Rocky Avento, uh, what a character. This this guy from New York City, he was loud and fun and he was a great guy, but he would always pull me aside and guide me. Uh-huh. Um, we had another Air Force officer. He was a detailee. He wasn't part of the unit. He was in plain clothes. Uh, John Wheeler. John ended up a retired colonel from the Air Force. Um, John spent a great deal of time teaching Eric and I, and I think you too, Clay. He, he, I had no aerospace background. I was a physics major. I knew a heck of a lot about physics, but now you've got to apply that. People like Clay, who came out of school, had aerospace degrees, so they knew what orbital mechanics and things like that where I went, what the heck is that? And I went and tried to understand it. Well, thank God for John. John taught me a great deal. 
Um, last time I saw John face to face was at your launch, Clay. Um, and we got through it. You know, we, nobody abused us. Dear God, they were all busy as heck. You know, they, they saw we were learning. They saw we were, and they may have been, honestly, I think Bob Becker in particular was testing. Okay, you guys are going to sink or swim. Let's see. Go figure it out. Yeah, I can only imagine it. That's how, that's how they learned, right? If you uh -huh. think back to the whole situation of, of space for the United States, it was new. And everybody that came here from the NACA back in those days in Virginia, uh -huh. that then came to Houston, they were all learning on the fly. They were making this stuff up. And I think those guys that we worked with all were part of that. And they expected kind of the same thing from us. I didn't feel abused. I felt privileged as I could possibly be. Look where I'm working, Ma! You know, I, I, how lucky can I get? It doesn't get better than this. <laughs> Until I moved over to work in mission control. That was even cooler. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, as a young engineer myself, I was under the tutelage of a, of a man named Mickey Donahue, mm -hmm. uh, who was, he and I were, became great friends and uh you know i spent some time a lot of time with his family uh, mm -hmm. as a young person and uh he was brilliant in an alabama sort of way right the guy yeah. south alabama and was just uh an amazing person with an amazing heart and but there was competition back then there was competition between the folks that blair and i worked with who developed the behind the scenes information that those guys in operations were going to eventually learn and speak to us a little bit Blair about that competition between uh, not just between operations and analysis the, the MPATters and the MODers right uh, talk about the competition between us you me Eric right because we were young we were trying to move up that man or that uh, we all thought we were going to be center director <laughs> I mean we did Hey, we yeah. were, you know, right out of school. If I work my tail off, I'll get a promotion faster than you. Every single one of us was that way, except except Rick, who was so laid back. God bless him. And Rick I, Deppish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nothing phased Rick. He was brilliant too. Um, there was competition, but there's competition in. I think there's competition in any any job where you have young people who busted their hump to get through college and now they they're going to go out here and they're going to learn the the and there was there was always you and me and eric and i remember tell me what you remember al dupont ended up our our boss bob went on to another job al's another good friend of clay's and i um al was al was very perceptive i remember Al had Al had three three young stallions in his in his stable, me Clay and, and Eric Mitchell. And if Al if Al had a job that required finesse, and where it was absolutely not okay to rub somebody wrong, he would throw that job to Clay, because Clay had from the beginning Clay had people skills that Eric and I never did master, but but. If he had a job that required great precision, 
no, no, you have to have this answer to six decimal places. He would hand that to Eric Mitchell. If he had a job that they were stonewalling or, or, you know, he just, you know, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but it's got to get done. A lot of times he'd throw that to me because I was too damn. I, I was too dumb to know that you can't just run people over in that person. <laughs> Put the arm out and go. And it took me a number of years to figure out that was a bad policy. Um, but Al was very adept at using his people for uh, for what they were strong at. Um, yeah, and just know that Blair's nickname kind of was the bulldog, right? Because Al could sick him on anybody. Uh, yeah. And uh, Eric Von Mitchell, bless his soul, he's uh, not with us anymore. But uh, it was he was so proud. Eric was the first in his family uh, to gain a college degree. Uh, he came to our organization and uh, had more vim and vigor than than most, and he was hugely excited to come to work every day. Uh, I think that between the three of us, uh, I was never quite sure how much that I was contributing at the time, right? Because you never really know. Um, yeah. but I remember a quick story when Blair's stack of internal notes, right? One of the things that I would be tasked to do later was I wrote an external note uh, as Blair did. Blair wrote one on a subject we called the operational control zones for the International Space Station, envisioning that we'd have all these vehicles up there and satellites and servicing platforms and all these things that needed to be kept in an airport-like environment with uh, class a, B, C, and D airspace, right? So we had that same concept for the station, which Blair wrote about. And I had another document about how we were going to get shuttles and these vehicles in and out from the space station. And I remember without blowing the arrays off, yeah. Without blowing anything up, right? And and uh, Eric's big part of that was to work on some of the data. I was working on the systems integration like Blair was talking about, and Blair was working on his control zones. And I remember I got to the point where I did a, I talked to a headhunter and I went to Colorado because several of our colleagues were getting disingenuous with NASA and they weren't happy with where they were going or whatever the reason, but they were talking to headhunters. And I ended up in Martin Marietta, Colorado for a job interview. And I remember the guy that was going to interview me was busy and he sent me to be with one of his young engineers. And that young engineer was talking to me and telling me about all the specific NASA support that we are working on here at Martin Marietta. And he said, and this is the document that we follow precisely with NASA. <laughs> I remember he sets this document down. I look at it and I'm thinking inside, this is going to be good. And I turn the page, the cover page open and NASA typically has the cover page. And then they have the signature page of the people that did the document. And I turned to the signature page and I pointed to my name. <laughs> on the document that he was touting and boy he got really quiet really fast <laughs> funny how that worked <laughs> so Blair, yeah i want to talk about a little bit of our outside of work stuff uh -oh. talk to the podcast people about what we call nerd day <laughs> I, I wish i could erase that from your memory <laughs> you know, just about about a month ago, I get an email from the, the head of the Canadian Space Agency liaison 
boss, <laughs> who used to be a mere mortal like you and I, and is now a big dog. And he, he's got that picture attached. <laughs> hey, was this you? Mm. One by the Rockets or the one by the Corvettes? The one by the Rockets. The <laughs> one you have that you constantly post. <laughs> so Nerd Day, Nerd Day was fun. It really was fun. Somewhere along the line, one of the older secretaries, because we still had we still had government civil service secretaries. Today they contract. Faye Conway. Faye Conway was it, it may have been Faye. And that and was. some of the and uh, in a desk somewhere, she found this folder full of old badge pictures. The the pictures that that well, it's you got to flip it around the, there. There you yeah, go. Yeah, the the, the the badges that you used to get on site, and they were all black and white photos. Well, it's all these guys that we now work with, guys we were talking about that were the tickers and the the guy from South Alabama and, you know, and, and they're all, they're all in white shirts and these skinny black ties, which were the, that was dress in the 1960s. And at that time, NASA had kind of an unofficial, you're supposed to wear a shirt and tie. And there's lots of stories about that gag. And, and we're looking at these and we're going, look, that's how back, you know, Look, that's so and so. Look, that's so and so. There's Jerry Bell. Yeah. And and so we got we put our heads together, and I don't know whose brilliant idea it was. There were about six of us young guys, mm-hmm. and we said, "Okay, Friday, we're gonna be Nerd Day. Everybody dress up like that, and we'll come in." And the oldsters freaked. What the devil? And then Clay walks in, and then Eric walks in, and then Jerry walks in, and then Rick. there's about about. 10 of us and then somehow guys in other directorates hear about this and they they i don't know how the heck they hear about it but anyway we're all sitting there skinny black ties and white shirts and 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 we got tape on our glasses and pockets full of pens and 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 we are just having a ball working that day point, point out to everybody that back in those days that's when the nerd movie revenge of the nerds and revenge ah, nerds, that's true clay yeah you know, all those movies had just come out right with uh uh-huh. and, <laughs> and so yeah all of us dressed up like this for work thinking that it would be fun and it was it was hilarious the, it was the, well received oh the older guys loved it and then we all decided we were going to go have lunch across the street at it's a Fuddruckers, and most people yeah. are familiar with the, the Fuddruckers restaurant chain. But we all went over there. We had a, a table booked out, and we went. And at Fuddruckers, you order your meal and you give them a name, right? And they're going to call mm-hmm. the name over the microphone. So all of us decided that we oh, were going to yeah. use names of early astronauts, you know. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we're sitting at our table in our skinny black ties, white shirts, pocket protectors, crazy slacks, high water pants, and they're yelling out names like Neil Armstrong, your order's ready. Gus Grissom, your order's ready. And, and the people yeah. in the restaurant are looking around. Of course, they know where it's coming from because there are a bunch of grown-ups acting like children <laughs> in nerd costumes. So, But then I want you to tell them about Jay Larkins a little bit later, though, Blair. Can you tell them about that? I'm trying to remember. You might have to jog my memory, buddy. When we all went over after work for yeah. a little 
happy-hour activity, and we carried our textbooks and our calculators and our slide rules. We were all dressed up as nerds. Yeah. Big table that, such that we could see the door, and any time a pretty young lady walked in, yeah. all the nerds, just like in the movie, hi, girls. <laughs> yeah, we did that. We scared it was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun, except for the pictures that I wish hadn't been taken so that Clay could stop showing them to everybody. <laughs> you know, it. Uh, people, are, people are getting a kick out of the fact that that we were normal. And, and so now let's tie some of this together. Right. We've talked about our history as, as young engineers. We've talked about a little bit about our relationships with some of these guys. So now if we fast forward a little bit. You have a colleague that you used to work with who's been selected as a United States astronaut. So talk to the listeners about that and then about my first launch and my second launch and what you, Blair Nader, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine from years past, are now thinking about as you see all this transpiring. Clay, I can't remember, but it seems like you applied multiple times 15 <laughs> you worked you worked really hard to get their attention and you know we all watched of course you moved over to, to the, the the flight ops side um and um you know we would watch and clay would apply and we'd all go come on, come on, come on, go, go, go. um <laughs> and, and <laughs> Hey man, somebody's got to win. It may as well be you. You don't play, you can't win. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, and and you're not you're not the only one who applied a number of times. Uh, you right. may hold the record, but I found out that that one of the most brilliant astronauts I've ever met uh, applied four times. I'm not going to name names, but I went. You? Yeah. I mean, it it happens. And I don't, I don't know the magic of how that gets decided. It's none of my business as a mere mortal. Um, but I remember we'd watch and then Clay would do, Clay would make the right moves. Okay, I've, I've got, I, I, I continue to do sports refereeing. That's an unusual extracurricular activity. And at that time, it seemed like such things were, were useful Mm -hmm. When you applied, plus Clay just plain loved sports. The guy's a sports fanatic, so being out there being a referee was just more the same. Um, and then I remember right along the way, you got a pilot's license, and along the way, he said, Okay, I'm gonna do something unusual to show them I can do something unusual. Um and if I remember right, weren't you one of the very early emergency ops center managers? Yeah, I was actually kind of the first, I think. The, uh, okay, I was trying to remember. JSC, yeah. JSC reorganized how it would respond to emergency things that happened on site. And they formed up something called an emergency ops center. And for, for whatever reason, they put that under the purview of operations. And and. Clay stepped into that and said, yeah, I can do that. And he organized it and got it up and running and worked with the other directorates to make it successful. Again, demonstrating I can do unusual things. I can make stuff happen. And, you know, none of those struck you as important at the time. But when you look back on them, you go, 
okay, those were all slowly but surely, not just keeping him interested and engaged, but also building his resume, building his skill base, demonstrating what he can do. Um, yeah, I didn't want, uh, believe it or not, um, when the emergency operations job came up, I was in operations and uh, I, I said, I'm interested. The, the email came from the boss. Yeah. Are you inter anybody interested in this? And I said, yeah, I'm interested. And the next thing I knew, I was in a high-level meeting of another subject, and they said, hey, the center director, George Abbey, wants to talk to you because he wants you to be the new emergency operations center director. I thought, what? And, and I in, those days, in those days, are you interested was equivalent to you're about to be drafted. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can think of three or four other drafted. times that happened to people. But it turned out to be one of the best jobs I ever had. So, I always thought it looked like a good job. Yeah. Creating something from scratch is good work. Yes. You know, look, and get out of my way. Let me solve this hard problem. I'm an engineer. Well, and, 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 and you did was, that. Operations was perfect for that, right? Uh -huh. To plan, train, and we say plan, train, fly. But to plan, train, and execute is mm -hmm. the perfect mantra for an emergency operations center. And when I got over there, I would learn that they didn't know any of that stuff. And whereas a flight controller has a, what we call a bold face procedure, right? If A happens, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and then you worry about the details. These guys were reading through phone books and information trying to give the, the they were 911 call recipients, basically. And they were trying to give advice without having the information. And, mm -hmm. and it also turned out that they had never simulated an emergency ever at the Johnson yep. Space Center, and that's what Mission Ops did. So we began to simulate emergencies. Mm -hmm. so, great job. Sorry, keep going, buddy. No, it was, and and it was, it was, and then one day, yeah, one day the announcement comes out, and we look at that list, and Clay's on there, and everybody goes, yeah. And and then and and I'm sure you got flooded with phone calls. I know I was at least a couple of those, and. Uh, and then I remember, I'll always remember this really great party. Um, I think it was at your house. Um, your wife got everybody together who knew you. And we had a going away party because he was leaving the, the mortal plane and moving up to the sixth-floor <laughs> astronaut office. Um, you know, it, 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 astronauts are, are like superheroes. I mean, it, it, you never want to read an astronaut uh by a um, resume, you'll feel like the dumbest human being on earth because they're all supermen and superwomen. Uh, some of these people have multiple PhDs and like, really? And, and Clay, well, Clay was, well, Clay was, he was an astronaut, but he was moving up to the, uh, uh, up, you know, it was, it was, it was like in the right stuff, moving to the top of the ziggurat. You know, the rest of us were there, were there supporting and and there was this great party his wife had at their house and i bet there were i bet there were 150 people in that house in the garage in the backyard and these were all people who were there because they loved clay and they were all really happy for him and it wasn't just engineers i mean it was everybody who knew Dave. Um, your buddy dave who i can't remember his last name from basketball uh, yep. that's it David and, and uh, podcast guest. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's appropriate. Um, <laughs> but it was it was so cool. 
And they, they Clay's probably showing off, you know, kind of shyly holding up his jumpsuit. It didn't have all the groovy patches because he was a baby duck fan. <laughs> and and everybody's like, ooh, ah, because this is really cool. I mean, here's a regular guy, guy we knew, guy we sat with, guy we drank with, and he has just ascended to the top of the mountain. <laughs> um, and then he got to fly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. You were going, was it 15? Expedition 15? Yeah, yeah. I Then I was running, I was running a, 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 a training facility. And yeah. Clay came down out of, out of one of the mock-ups after a class. And he saw me and he yelled at me, Nader, get your butt over here. <laughs> and I come over and he comes down these steps and he puts this Expedition 15 lanyard around my neck. That's lanyard holds your badge, right? Yes, sir. And and was, that may not have seemed like that may not have seemed like a big deal to anybody else, but I knew this dude. And he had taken a minute to give me one of these very limited edition special small gifts. And I still got it at the desk here somewhere. I wore it for years. Um and then and then it was time to fly. And I I don't run around with astronauts. I, 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 this letter shows up at the house. You're invited. Come on down and watch Clay Anderson launch as a launch guest. Cool. Well, I, my son might have been 10. Yeah. At most. He was nine or 10. Mm-hmm. And his mama couldn't get off work. And so I, I, I took a week off work and me and my boy went to Florida. And there we hooked up with all these old guys that Clay and I knew from the Optimist Club and other places for years. And we're sitting there watching this launch. And you're thinking, man, that's him on top of that rocket. Ain't that something? And and it just, you know, it hits you in the head. And and you know, your your kid at 10, he's at ten, your kid still thinks you're you're you know you're a god. And at twelve, the world changes. But <laughs> but at, at ten, dad, you really know that guy? Is that really Uncle Clay up there? Yep, they're on top. You met Uncle Clay, you remember? Yeah, Dad. Really? Yep. Up it goes, and man, that little kid's just watching. You know, and uh, how was Dad feeling? <laughs> dad was cheering, man. Dad and every one of your friends was cheering. Me and Whitley and, and all them guys. Paul and yeah, I think Stan was there. Yeah, and, and, I mean we were all just cheering our heads off. And and then I was getting email from you while you were on orbit, which was cool. Yeah. I still got a bunch of that, <laughs> and uh, I got a bunch of that special pictures that that that. You know, your buddy Clay's up there. He says, this one's important to me. And, you know, I wish your dad could have seen that. Yeah. The, I'm going to jump sideways. My very favorite play story. (laughs) Clay was a high school ball player. I'm about as unathletic as a rock. but Clay was a serious athlete. And Clay tells me this story one time about he's running down the field for a touchdown. He's running his tail off. The crowd's going berserk. 
And somehow he finds out, I don't know if you looked over or somebody told you afterward, while Clay is running down the field, his daddy is running down the sideline right next to it. (laughs) And so when you were on orbit, I always thought to myself, your daddy's standing right there with you. He can't tell you he's there, but he's right there. And that was in my mind when you were up there. That's a good story. I I, uh, I love that story. It's one of my favorite about you. Yeah, my father passed away in 1984, uh, about a few months after I was hired full-time at the Johnson Space Center. Yeah, you hadn't been here long. No, I had... Uh, been here a short time and uh, he was having some medical issues and I think about November Thanksgiving time frame we talked he and I talked on the phone in the office and and uh, you know I planned to go home at Christmas and I which I did but he had a stroke just before that so uh, yeah I, I'm with you Blair he would have he was watching and uh, you'll you'll it, for those of you listening to the uh, making of an ordinary spaceman podcasts, uh, Susan and I, my wife, uh, do an episode where we talk about a butterfly on the launch pad when we did our spouse pad tour before I launched for the first time. And we're pretty sure that that uh, that was dad fluttering around our head on the launch pad. So uh, hopefully folks will continue to listen and, and catch that podcast episode as well. So do you have any other favorite clay stories as as we went through life, as we went through astronauting or as we went Christmas tree sales with the Clear Lake Noon Optimus Club over by Highway 3 and NASA Road 1. <laughs> Clay was an intern. It was that very first summer. Eric and I were right out of school. Eric Eric was a mechanical engineer. Right. And right. he he fancied himself an inventor. He wanted to be an inventor. God bless him. I love Derek. I miss him terribly. And he would have these ideas and he'd draw them for us on the board. <laughs> and one day he has an idea that he calls the cat back. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I forgot about I the this story at his funeral, so it's okay to tell it on the podcast. Um. <laughs> Eric's telling me about it. Well, you know, Blair, Clay and I are sitting there. He says, you know, Blair, he says, uh, you know how your cat sheds hair all over the place? I said, yeah, I had cats growing up. He says, I got a great idea. I call it the cat back. And he draws it. And what it amounts to is a big box, clamshell kind of box. And the cat's head sticks out in a box, you know, kind of like a, like the old middle, um, Medieval stocks, cat's head sticking out of the box. And he's got a, 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 a port to which he can attach a wet dry vac. Now the, the cat's head stuck in the, sticking out. The cat's body's in the box. And there's a vacuum cleaner running. You ever seen cats around vacuum cleaners? It ain't pretty. And 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 Clay and I are looking at that, and we don't want to, you know, we don't really know each other all that well yet. It ain't been but a couple of months, and we're all competing, and we're young tough bucks. And <laughs> and, uh, and Clay looks at him. He says, "Eric, he says there's one problem here. What? Well, what's the problem, Clay?" 
Because Eric spent time thinking this out. Eric, how are you going to get the cat out of the vacuum, out of the cat vac, after you ran that vacuum? What do you think's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I don't think Eric ever solved that part of the technical problem. <laughs> yeah. Eric, what do you think's going to happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I totally forgotten about that story. Oh, I love that story. I love that story. It was like, hmm, yeah. Oh, other stories. God, there's so many, so many good ones. Well, what'd you think? Uh, what were you thinking when I did my first spacewalk? Were you, uh, did you have any uh, thoughts then? Were you watching it all? I know spacewalks are really, really boring and they're long. And I totally get that most people. I was thinking, be careful, dummy. <laughs> be real careful because you guys make it look easy but I understand how much doggone work goes into learning to do that I also understand that you know try as hard as we can spacewalking's dangerous and you got to be careful you got to think and that's why you train so hard I was thinking be careful I mean that's all I was thinking well as I went out the hatch that morning you know my first spacewalk, right? And I was going out with a Russian cosmonaut yeah. who, whose English was probably a skosh better than my Russian, right? But between the <laughs> two of us, we were going to runglish our way through this spacewalk, right? And I'm the lead, the EV-1, they call it. And I go out first and I hook up our safety tethers, right? And, and the week prior, Fyodor had done, the month prior, Fyodor had done two spacewalks with my crewmate, Oleg Kotov, right? Two Russian spacewalks. And he they were rookies, so now he's an expert. And I remember him floating by me in the in the lab module when I was working, he'd say, hey, spacewalk, go slow, be careful. And I'd say, good advice, Fyodor, thanks, and then he'd fly off, right? A couple days later, he'd come back and he'd go, play, spacewalk coming. Remember, go slow, be careful, right? Yes, sir, I got it. So. I poke out of the hatch. I hook my safety tethers up. Everything's good. Fyodor's head is up in the in the hatch. He's still in the airlock, and he's handing me stuff out, and I'm clip, clipping it in the places we're supposed to hand it, and he finally comes out. His safety tethers are all hooked, and I'm messing with something, and I look up, and he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> I don't know where he went. He, did, he took off, and, you know, so not sure of what to do. In my best Russian possible, I said, Yoder, Astanavit, say cha, stop now. And then I said, Namnujna Dielit Vamista. We need to do it together. <laughs> I had no idea if it was going to work, but a few minutes later, here he comes, <laughs> crawling back down so I could at least see him, right? Because spacewalking is the ultimate team thing, right? It's like scuba diving. You got to have a partner and you got to watch each other. and 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 do those things. So Blair, as we come to the to the end of this podcast episode, I want to say thank you first of all uh, for uh, agreeing to be a guest and and fighting through the NASA red tape that allowed us to do this uh, podcast and and put it out there for people to listen to. Uh, but I also want people to know uh, how grateful I am to guys like Blair. Um, I love this man. You know, we our, our lives you we were tightly intertwined as young engineers, but then as life 
goes on. You kind of separate apart. You do your own thing for a while, and then hopefully you come back together. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an ebb and flow of, uh, of contact. And since I've retired, uh, Blair and I have had lunch a few times together, which is always great to catch up. Uh, he has a wonderful family. Uh, and I just want to say thank you to you for being a part of this because the making of an ordinary spaceman, this ordinary spaceman would never have been possible without the influences, the friendship, and the activities and things that you and I did together as young engineers. I want everyone out there listening to know that this is a pretty special guy right here. There's one more thing I want to say for people listening. You know, you hear him use the phrase, the ordinary astronaut. He's more ordinary than you realize. This is a guy who climbed as high as you can climb and never forgot the little people along the way. And I mean, whatever I am to you, Clay, okay, I'm honored. But I remember when I, my son and I were flying to your first launch and we're in the airport. And I run into two long retired NASA admin officers. And admin officers were, they were almost always in those days, they were almost always extremely senior civil service secretaries who they knew everything. They could make anything happen. They Anything from the simplest piece of paper to to getting you approval for XYZ, they were amazing human beings who never got enough credit. And there's these these two individuals who were long retired. I said, what are you guys doing here? We're flying down for Clay's launch. Now, admin officers never got enough credit for what they were doing. Clay remembered them. And Clay invited him because when you hear the ordinary astronaut thing, he really is an ordinary guy. He just, he's the next door neighbor boy who made good. He's never forgot the guy that lived down the street that that used to help him wash his bike. You know, Uh, and that's important to me. I just wanted to throw that in here. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you and love you very much. Thank you. Please rate, review, follow, and subscribe as it helps others find my podcast. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to my dear friend Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller fame for the use of his talents and music. A Huda Media Production.